Well, as I uh, continue in this uh, time of uh, transition, preparing uh, for retirement late fall, I've been thinking about all kinds of things in life, the good, the bad, uh, all memories, what ministry's been about, people I've loved, people I've lost, people I still love, just so many things have been in my mind. But I've also, probably because uh, our last one's flying the coop to uh, University of Miami, I've also been reflecting back of, on the lives of our three children. Hard to believe our youngest son, Peter, who you just saw, was four years old when we got here, and he's soon heading off to college. Well, when Peter and his sisters were young, one of our favorite games to play together was the game that we called Dumpo. It's a great game for young children. Basically, your child sits in your lap facing you, and what you do is you hold up all ten fingers, and ask the child to pick a finger. And when she or he does that, something happens. Child never knows what's gonna happen. Touching one finger might result in tickling. Touching another finger might mean an airplane flies overhead and drops a bomb, boom. Still another finger uh, might mean a finger flick or another finger might mean a finger that walks all over you. But what the child does not know until it happens is which finger prompts dumpo. Dumpo is when your legs part, effectively dumping your child on the ground. <laughs> of course, you don't let your child hit the floor, just, just, just almost. And this game provided us hours and hours of joy. Remember, Peter? Maybe a, little, a little brain injury. <laughs> we can play later today. Well, a great game, perhaps children love it because they never know what's going to happen. And not a bad way to learn an essential life lesson in an innocuous way. A lesson that reflects that we all have the unexpected come our way, some of which brings great joy and some of which brings sadness. It's also during this time of transition I've been reflecting upon people in my life I've most admired. And I have a robust list of people I admire greatly. You probably have a list of people you greatly admire, too. Take a moment. Think of people who you really admire in your life. Let those names just kind of pop up into your head. And as you do, and you think about the characteristics and the qualities of those people, probably some qualities and characteristics of what makes them so admirable comes to mind. Can you think of any qualities of the people you admire? Then he come to mind, can you just throw out a few? Kindness. Caring. Honest. Integrity. Ethics. Come on up here, Marie. <laughs> well, what may or may not be surprising about the list of characteristics of the people we admire is the likely absence of one particular quality. When you thought of people you admire and those qualities came into mind, how many of you thought the people you admire are or were perfect? How many people you came up you admire and respect are notable because of their flawlessness? Do any of you have the word perfect? on your list? 
Well, this morning I'd like to share some stories from Scripture, some very notable people. And one thing that's striking is that the people I'm going to talk about were not notable because of perfection, but rather because of something very different. And while there are dozens and dozens of stories, I just want to take a brief look at just a few this morning of some imperfect yet incredibly notable people in the Bible and what it is that made them stand out. Let's start briefly with Job, who lost everything, lost his wife, his family, his assets, his health. And after all of this happens, this is what Job has to say to God and about God. Job says, I'm not letting up. I'm standing my ground. My complaint is legitimate against God. God has no right to treat me like this. It's not fair. If I knew where on earth I could find God, I'd go straight to God. I'd lay my case before God face to face. Give him all my arguments firsthand. I'd find out exactly what he's thinking and discover what on earth is going on in his head. Then there's the story of Hannah in the first book of Samuel. Hannah was having a really tough time in life. She turned to God for help. And she prayed, oh God, oh God, take a look. Take a look at my pain. Would you stop neglecting me for goodness sakes and go into action for me? Her prayer was so passionate and so fervent that the temple priest Eli assumes that Hannah must have been drunk. She was so passionate in her prayer and her complaints with God. Then there's a story from the book of Genesis, part of which we heard this morning. Here's the background. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They were the parents of Isaac. And one day Isaac married Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah were the parents of Esau and Jacob. Esau arrived first in the world. And from the moment the brothers were born, they competed and fought with each other. They were intense rivals. Back in those days, when a father was old and nearing the end of his life, he would give a special blessing to his eldest son. And on the day that Isaac chose to give his blessing to Esau, his younger brother tricked his father into giving him his older brother's blessing. You may remember that poor old Isaac could not see, and so his son Jacob took advantage of this. But when Esau found out his brother stole the blessing that was rightfully his, he committed to seeking out his brother Jacob to kill him. And so Jacob runs away, and time passes, and Jacob ends up marrying two sisters. Here we go with the multiple wives again, Marie. Uh, Marry two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And years later, Jacob and his wives leave where they had lived for a long time and cross the desert. And as they travel one day in the distance, Jacob sees his brother Esau traveling toward him. And Jacob is petrified. Despite the passage of decades, he believes his brother Esau still wants to kill him. And it's in this place of fear, discouragement, exhaustion, and frustration, and not knowing what to do next, that Jacob prays to God. He says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, save me. Please save me from the violence of my angry brother Esau. I am so afraid. And after he prays this, he and his wives and sons cross the Jabbok River. 
And he immediately goes off to a nearby place by himself. And it's there that God comes to Jacob and the two wrestle all night long. This is not an easy tussle. This is how the writer Frederick Beekner describes what happened that night. He writes from the perspective of Jacob, and this is what Beekner writes. Out of the dark, someone leapt at me with such force that it knocked me onto my back. It was a man. I could not see his face. His shoulder was pressed so hard against my jaw, I thought he would break it. I got my elbow into the pit of his throat and forced him off. I threw him over onto his back. My breath came in gasps. Quickly, he twisted loose. He was pushing my face into the mud. We struggled with, in each other's arms. He was on top. Then I was on top. And for the rest of the night, we battled in the reeds of the river Jabbok. As an aside, the name Jabbok, the name of the river which Jacob and God wrestle, comes from a word means to empty itself. And Jacob emptied himself the night he struggled mightily with God. He held nothing back. He put out everything that was in his mind. He engaged every part of his body and his spirit. So what does this and the other stories I shared tell us? Well, on the surface, the story of Jacob, the story of Job who lost everything, the story of Hannah who was despondent, they're all different and deal with a variety of issues. But each and every person in these stories in the Bible and dozens of others like them, each of these people are considered to be quite notable. And each of these people are notable not because of their perfection or having it all down. Rather, they are notable because they passionately, fervently, and profoundly struggle, wrestle with, if you will, with God. So what does this mean? Does this mean that God wants from us a wrestling match with blood, sweat, and tears? Does God want us to press our elbows into the pit of God's throat? Is it God's desire to push our faces into the mud? Does God want us to get into the reeds of the Jabbok with him? Well, the short answer is not quite. So what is it that God wants from us? And what do these stories tell us? And why are these stories all over Scripture? Why are these stories there? What does God want us to learn from these stories? Well, to help get at this, I invite you to ponder something for a moment. Think for a moment about the characteristics or qualities of the most profoundly deep relationships and meaningful relationships you have or have had in life. What qualities come to mind of those relationships? that are most profoundly deep and meaningful. If I were to ask a large sample of people what comes to mind, I have a, a feeling people would say that the deepest, most re meaningful relationships include things such as honesty and commitment and trust and empathy and vulnerability and sacrifice, kindness, 
flexibility, humility, understanding, respect, forgiveness, emotional intimacy, listening, a desire to put the other person ahead of oneself, a place where one becomes more of one who is, one is truly, love. And while there are other characteristics we could name, there is one, however, however, that I believe belongs on that list. In the deepest, most meaningful relationships we have, there is a willingness, an openness, and a need to passionately and fervently engage at the deepest levels. I believe our deepest relationships involve not only a passionate and fervent engagement, but I believe our deepest relationships included willingness to wrestle. Not in a violent, no, not in an aggressive, hateful, mean-spirited way at all, but in a way that represents an openness to being fully present, completely engaged, authentic. A connection that is deep enough to even lovingly tussle at times. The great giants in the Bible are as notable as they are, I believe, not because of their perfection, but because of their profound connection to God, their deep relationship with God, including the characteristics I just talked about, and their willingness to take it all to God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing is held back. I believe God's message to us through the lives of those I mentioned today and many, many others in Scripture is that God, of course, wants that kind of relationship with each of us. God's message is, bring it to me. Take it to me. Share it all with me. Talk to me. Yell at me, scream at me, whisper to me, cry, laugh, smile, applaud, raise your hands, engage, wrestle, question, ask, doubt, challenge, plead, celebrate, thank, grieve, praise, love. And like the name of the Jabbok River itself, God says, empty yourself completely and totally with God asks us this day, will you wrestle with me like that? Will you have that kind of relationship with me? Will you bring it all to me? It's what I want from you. And like Jacob, when we wrestle with God, our faith matures. Our ability to help others deepens. Our resiliency increases. And like Jacob, wisdom, growth, and understanding come through those times of wrestling. And like Jacob, asking questions, the hard questions, confronting God with difficult thoughts, and challenging God with our feelings is exactly what God wants. Let me say all this to wrap up in another way. A few moments ago, I mentioned the game Dumpo in which our children would sit on my lap and I'd hold up ten fingers and ask them to choose a finger. Then when different fingers were chosen, a variety of things might happen, including picking the finger that resulted in getting dumped, or head injuries, as Peter said. 
But do you know what that game is really about with a child? It's about total engagement. It's eye to eye. It's a time of focused connection without distraction. It's in a moment in which pretenses are gone. Authenticity flows. Defenses are lowered. And it's ultimately a symbol that being together is what matters the most. It's like that with God, I believe. It's not that God wants to play games or play dumpo with us. But rather, God wants for us to be totally engaged with God, both in times of delight and joy. And in those tough passages that come our way. And so I pray we'll remember the image of the game Dumpo as an invitational, even playful way to remember what God wants most of all from you and from me. And what God wants most is all of you. All of it. All of it. And all of me. All of it. Including those moments in which all we know what to do is wrestle. And so let us take a few moments in silent prayer.